Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. I'm delighted to have uh, Reed Goosens uh, today. Uh, for viewers and listeners, Reed uh, is an incredibly talented and dynamic uh, young gentleman. Uh, very short years ago, he came to US from Australia. Uh, that was in 2012. Uh, he has a strong construction background and through very small properties, he quickly scaled into syndications. That was a realization that he had that uh, to scale, to grow big is definitely a multifamily syndication way uh, to go. And one of the amazing things about Reed is that he has a podcast. He is a author. He is a best, uh, uh, best time, a two-time uh, best-selling uh, author on two books, I should say. And he has done incredibly, uh, you know, powerful way to scale his business. And we are here to kind of uh, delve into his story and understand, uh, you know, what it takes him. Uh, so with that, uh, Reed, help us get started. Uh, give us some background as to the incredible success that you have in such a short time. Uh, give us a thesis on who Reed is, uh, what takes you, and how you have quickly scaled so high. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Sakar. It's uh, good to be here and, and share, share a bit of the insight um, about how, what makes me tick, I guess. Um, the question, the question to you are success, right? What is success? And those, those accolades that you just mentioned are, are very good. You know, they're, they're great, right? They're, I, I'm very proud of what I've achieved, but also you can never just rest on your laurels. And, and I've, always been, I've always been raised to keep my feet firmly on the ground and don't get my head too high in the sky. Um, check my ego at the door and just be a grounded type of guy, approachable type of guy. Um, but use things that you see in life like books and podcasts and, and, and have a hunger to use those tools in, into order to accelerate the business, sure. um, accelerate the entrepreneurship life. Right. Sure. And sure. for me, uh, it all boils down to fear of regret. Like the moving to America was a, it was an itch. I wanted to scratch it. Uh, I had no idea what was going to come uh, when I moved here, but I wanted to give it a go because I was so fearful of waking up when I'm 70 or 60 or 70 years of age and going, well, I regretted not move, getting up and moving to, to America. Right. Sure, and, sure. and so the worst case scenario for me when I moved here was I, was I was coming here to be an expat and just to live in New York city for a couple of years as a structural engineer, I was going to move home. Like I had no aspirations to Mm. come here and blow it, try to blow it up, you know, or try sure. to make a, a life, you know, an incredible life for myself. Um, but through pushing my boundaries and by through taking chances on myself, through, really through betting on myself, because for those listeners out there, the only person you can really bet on is yourself, right? Sure. And mm. By doing that consistently, by, by, by quitting the job in Australia, by, by leaving my family and making the big leap, coming across the, the ditch and, and, and chasing a girl and, you know, wanting to live here and, and didn't have a job when I moved here. I had to pound the pavements to, to find a job. Sure. Um, 
all those things that you push your boundaries and, and you get comfortable pushing your boundaries. And as you grow as a human, you start to see and realize what other people are doing. You say, Hey, I can do that. I could, Oh, that's just sure. a podcast. They've, they've done a book or they've done X, Y, Z. They've got, they've got into syndications, whatever it might be. And slowly you start to just get this, um, this muscle that you start to exercise consistently, which is inside of you that it becomes part of your DNA to constantly keep pushing those boundaries as you grow, right? Not only as a, as an entrepreneur and a leader, uh, and a business owner, but as a human being, as a partner, as a husband, all those good things that come along with the growth of you know starting starting a goddamn business because it's freaking hard, but you Absolutely. learn a lot about yourself along the way, and that's the beauty of why I chose to do this. Because again, going back to that regret, you know, the fear of regret, I would the whole thing that got me going in this this world was, you know, sitting back in my in my cubicle and back in two thousand and ten after traveling around the world for a couple of years, um, I was back in Australia sitting in my cubicle going, geez, I can't be sitting in this cubicle for the next 40 years of my life. It's got to be more. Absolutely. And so through that, even if I came here and I failed, well, the worst, I still gave it a go. Right. And that's what so many people don't, they are so afraid of giving it a go because they're worried about what other people are going to think of them or the failure that they may, that may come from it. And look, everything's risky. Don't get me wrong. Everything is goddamn risky. I I, I may not have got a job in in America. I would have had to move home after three months because my visa was run out, right? But what you get used to, what you need to get used to is stop putting so much emphasis on the outcomes and start focusing on just walking through the door that is opened in front of you. And that's- Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. That's the most important thing. I agree with you. And and also the fact that, you know, you stated that the fear of regret, I think we all like, we can both relate, I guess, you know, uh, I, I came here on a student visa, kind of yep. went through the professional <laughs> route. You know doing, exactly what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can first time relate and, you know, this is the land of opportunity, you know, like first time it was fearful for me to buy the sort of the first rental that kind of, you know, we crossed that uh, threshold and quickly went into many, many rentals after that. But that, that, that very seed that, you know, the like the seed of regret or being in the same place, uh, you know, many years, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, muster myself. I, I, I get that. I, absolutely. Now read, how did that kind of transform that, you kind of said, Hey, you know what? I want to be in real estate. I want to do more. I want to kind of get into syndications or, you know, sort of the organized multifamily as we call it. How how did that come about? Well, so, you know, the, before coming to America in 2010, when I picked up the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, that was the start. That was a fire. That was a seed to really ignite me. And and I I had no idea what entrepreneurship meant. I just wanted someone to pay me to live my life and not have to work all all the bloody time. (laughs) That's all I had a a goal of. And I had this other sense of sitting on the sidelines and watching my life go past, you know, in front of me by just working, you know, feeling like a small cog in a big corporate machine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was the real impetus to go out and try and be curious about different things and, and, and not just take what people tell you, oh, I'll go get a job and then, you know, get a good 401k and all this sort of stuff and go and try and challenge it a little bit because that's what life is all about, living life today. And so that was the start of it through self-educating in Australia. I actually started to attend some local real estate events there. So prior to moving to America, I was already on the road, right? I, I, was, already, mm-hmm. I was already curious. And given the fact that I was a structural engineer, I was already, you know, it's surprising when blinkers come off, right? You realize, Absolutely. okay, well, maybe this job isn't so bad. Maybe I could learn a few things sure. if I start paying attention, right? Sure. And that's mm-hmm. 
that's developing skill sets. And I, and I encourage everyone listening who, who is still in a job, if you are in a job that has skill sets that potentially could enable you to transition into a real estate firm, i.e. a development firm or investment firm, because you have a skill set that's valuable to them so you can continue learning whilst being paid, that's a really good stepping stone, exactly what I did when I moved to America. So, but in saying that, you asked how I got started. Well, so when I moved to America in 2012, literally two weeks off the boat, fresh off the boat, I am at my first RIA, Real Estate Investment Associations. And Interesting. I, hmm. I remember being blown away by the, 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 the network of these RIAs across the country, where I've come from a country in Australia where it had just, just coincidentally the biggest meetup, which only had 50 people, was in my wow. hometown, right? Like, so the, <laughs> the access to information when I first came here now is, is completely different to what I was used to. Now, I think sure. Australia has changed over times, but that was, I was also in the Big Apple, right? It's the, it's the, the hustle and bustle of, of Wall Street and New York, you know, the, 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 the beast that is New York City. Mm-hmm. And so going to these rear events, I was like, wow, look at this incredible information. I had to change my mindset of how I, the lingo in which I used for, for what, I, what I was learning in Australia. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then I quickly realized, like, wow, there's a, there are these secondary and tertiary markets that uh, the barriers to entry are pretty freaking low, less than $50,000 and you can get a triplex. Sure. Sure. And, and it was a four-hour drive away from New York City. Uh, I actually remember going on a, on a bus tour to your home, or Baltimore, which mm-hmm. was uh, in 2000, late 2012, you know, these little bus tours at these RIA events organized. Sure. Mm-hmm. Go look at these cheap properties. And I just remember going to Baltimore and it was, it was pretty rough back then. And sure. uh, you could mm-hmm. buy a house for $10,000. And sure. mm-hmm. I, I was, it was, I was all ears because I had $10,000, but sure. mm-hmm. you, you realize over time, looking back on that, that you'd have to buy the whole block. <laughs> no, I know. Work. And that's <laughs> what it gets interesting is that kind of going in the details is that knowing, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And, and, and there's always like, you know, you get what you kind of pay for. Right. I mean, you, you know, I, I'm here in Baltimore, for example, I gravitated completely opposite, you know, going from whatever $50,000 properties to scaling up. Then, you know, we were buying like more than $100,000 property townhouses, you know, but it, it has done great to me. But again, the whole multifamily syndication aspect that we speak about is completely, you know, it's, it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different way of how you do those things, right? So Correct. now speaking of that, read how you kind of got into, let's say, the multifamily syndication, the big 200 unit uh, sure. uh, thing that we kind of say now. So, so um, I was through conversations uh, with a good friend of mine. Uh, he came down to New York City, he's from Canada. And I was boasting to him that I bought two little triplexes and duplexes in Syracuse, New York. And I was looking at a flip in Philadelphia. I was still working full time. I was boasting to him. Hey, man, look at all this cool stuff going on. <laughs> and he said to me, he's like, man, that's awesome. But I just closed on a 70 unit deal in, in British Columbia, Canada. And I said, 70, like seven zero. And he's like, yeah, really? <laughs> how the hell did you do that? You know, where'd you get the money to do that from? He talked about OPM, you know, you talked to me about getting a mentor, talked about getting seller carryback financing on this particular asset. And I was like, oh, these are all the things I've been learning about, mm-hmm. but I'd be, I'd be only doing it on my own, right? I'd been buying these small little properties. I only had two of them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, quickly realized that, hey, I needed to get a mentor. And I've been putting off getting a mentor for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But I then realized that I needed to take that next step in my career, mm-hmm. you know, let, take the shackles off and say, hey, Reed, you're worth investing in yourself. Sure. You need to get a mentor who can be in your corner. And by paying a mentor, mm-hmm. what it does is you're giving yourself permission by handing that check over to say, I'm taking this seriously, whatever, you know, and, and that, they might be, a, you know, average, good, you know, whatever. Sure. The mentor isn't going to, cha- you know, 
blow it out of the water for you. It's all comes down to what you do and the actions you take, but the act of giving that money or paying for it sure. means that I'm investing in myself. Right. Absolutely. So that was the first step. And then through that mentor, I, started the podcast investing in the U S um, was he, he'd only done one deal prior to uh, me joining um, mm -hmm. him. And, and through that, I started investing in the U S the podcast and talking about my brand. Like, and again, I'm a structural engineer. I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. I was, I, I had no idea about building brands, but I was in, I was, you know, wanting to talk to the international folks about the benefits of investing in the United States, which is I, I, I niched and I pivoted in the beginning. Sure. Um, and, and because the reason I chose that was because no one else was talking to any, to the international folks. Sure. And I could be the number one in that space. Cause if I'm the only one in that space, right? right. So through that podcast, I then started building a small uh, investor database. Uh, and then through my mentor, I was actually able to introduce him to a friend of mine that I moved out to LA uh, where he was working for a company, um, a large uh, multifamily company as an underwriter and an analyst. And he was a young guy, a couple of years older than me, but you know, this is going back in 2014. And we met at a, at a networking event that I, I actually put on because and I was still working full time at the, at the time. Um, and I put on this event just to try and meet more people, right? Sure. And through that, he, 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 would already, he was already underwriting asset managing assets for another bigger company. He'd seen this deal in Houston, Texas. And you know, we got talking and I started learning how he was underwriting because I'm a very analytical guy. I love sure. my spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. And he, he's like, look, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. And I said, okay, great. You know, like I, I, I don't know what else to, to tell you besides good luck, but sure. he's like, I, I can't raise any money. And I said, okay, um, well, I've got this mentor that apparently can raise a bunch of money for you. Like yeah. maybe you, maybe you two should talk. And sure. I, I remember bringing it up to my mentor originally. And, and, and he said, uh, he's like, he wasn't interested. And, and I said, and I went back to this guy and said, mate, look, I don't think he's interested. You know, for whatever reason, um, and he, and you know, I knew it was a good deal. Uh, this gentleman knew it was a good deal. I went back to the man and said, mate, have another look at it. You know, just give another quick squeeze. And, and through that, they ultimately have gone off to scale and they, I think they own 10,000 units today. Um, but I was there during this first deal. And I remember trying to raise half a million dollars on this first deal, you know, with my little podcast that I had going mm -hmm. on and, you know, maybe 50 investors in my database. And mm -hmm. it was a cold shower in terms of the realization that I hadn't done enough groundwork yet with my investors because I remember approaching 50 of them sure, and only two of them ended up investing. Right. So like I thought and it was only a hundred thousand dollars. And I just remember on that deal. And again, I was involved in it as a co GP or whatever, sure. but it was the act of introducing this gentleman to my mentor and just sort of bootstrapping it. And, and, and they obviously went off and raised a ton of money, but I only raised a very small piece of it, but it sure. was a good cold, shower and really like an MBA at right. the end of the day, realizing, okay, you need to double down on your podcast. You need to double down on your message. You need to double down on growing that in database in order to continue to do deals with my mentor. And I, I went on to do a few more deals before breaking out on my own um, and, and starting Whitehorn Capital with Andrew Campbell. So that is the start of what happened um, back in the day was literally just the introduction of a couple of people and trying to make a deal, you know, come, come, come to life. And, and it ultimately did. So, In, yeah. Incredible. And, 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 and share your thought as well on this uh, reading here is that one of the things I have discovered is like with all the access to information, the books, the literature, the, the blogs and things like that. I mean, you know, we have the great advantage nowadays that you can kind of get on YouTube and listen to all this great content. Right. Right. But 
the single handedly the my experience has been as it's the people you surround with the cues that you take how to what to and of course the power of mentors as you mentioned would you agree that it's the people it's that influence factor that kind of catapults you to that next level would you agree to that 100% look look i i still remember to this day sitting on the on the subway in new york city before i even bought my first deal and i'd been in the, in the country 6 months you know, nose stuck in a book, reading about underwriting deals and realizing, okay, I got a little bit of money I'd saved up. I could go spend it on a mentor or I could go just buy my first property and see how I, you know, how I do. And, and the fact that I'd already moved halfway across the world, you know, give, quit my job. Like that hard part was already done. Like this sure. next part was like, well, it's my money. I'm going to bet on myself again. And I'm going to go do that first deal to prove to myself that I can sure. do this. I eventually sure. got to the point where I needed the mentor. But for me, I got to that point of like two and a half years of going to conferences and being sold things and blah, blah, blah. And looking at, you know, and this was early days of YouTubes and podcasting. Sure. So sure. I was just devouring as many books as I could. And, and I remember, you know, saying to myself, you don't get to deal number one without doing, so you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. Sure. And you also, you know, it's like losing weight. You don't, read a book about losing weight you got to open the gym door and get on the freaking treadmill right sure, so sure. the same idea was like i gotta get i gotta, I gotta jump in the deep end i've got i've done enough analysis on this this stuff and i know where i want to buy i think i know the risks and let's go off and execute and, and that's ultimately what i did and then it's years later it's come to being at you know 16 17 deals later it's it's you know big multi-family deals that you look back and think well i, I wouldn't have got here without doing that first one Sure, so, sure. It's, yeah. it's, it's the journey. It's the journey. It's, the journey. <laughs> it's 100% the journey. And everyone wants to have it happen tomorrow, right? And Absolutely. so many people quit, you know, because they, they realize, oh, crap, I, I, I'm going to become financially free in six months or 12 months. And you know, there's gurus out there that can tell you you can do that and, you know, good on them. But the reality is it took me nearly a decade to get to financial freedom before I could quit my job, before I had a green card, before I could quit my job, right? You know, talking about Absolutely. visas. Absolutely. Uh, so... The journey is important and sometimes you get to dark places and you want it to happen quicker. Sure. But you have to remember back to your point before, if you surround yourself with mentors and people you aspire to be, you can use them as sounding boards to say, Hey, you know, you're doing the right thing. Just keep doing the work, keep doing the work, keep doing Absolutely. the work. Eventually it'll chip away and it'll break and you'll, you'll, you'll be on, on your way. Incredible. Now let's focus on multifamily aspects, right? You know, you have a big presence in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's a, a such a number one banner market with all kinds of great stories and things like that. Now for our viewers and listeners, Reed, give us a sense of why Austin what is kind of your investment thesis? It's such a low cap market as well. Right. Uh, Kind of like give us sort of behind the curtains, like why it was Austin, why not some some other good great city? Right. So you know, I do have to preface by I I transitioned. I worked for many years for a developer here in LA, and LA is a low cap market as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. And mm -hmm. and a lot of big developers that no one you know this whole world of YouTubing and 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 syndications and you know this world that we you and I live in podcasting. Sure. sure. You mm -hmm. know. My old boss was a guy from Iran, a Jewish Iranian guy who came out here after the fall of Iran. He's probably worth over $2 billion. You'd never even heard of him. He's never, he owns half of Beverly Hills. You'd never even heard of him. He doesn't write a book, doesn't have a podcast. And that's the world I came from, right? Incredible. And so, mm -hmm. so he's made a lot of money over a long period of time in low cap rate markets. And you sure. can, the reason is because of supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. I come from a country where there's low cap rate markets consistently, where Australia sure. has uh, only 24 million people 
and we only we were on the same landmass as America, but we're all confined to the coasts. And sure. so when you have high demand but low supply, you have you you have low cap rate markets environments. So you ask about Austin, why Austin? Well, we actually started in San Antonio, which is where we when we still got a lot of assets down there. It was more moderate cap rates down there. But the whole reason we went was for moderate cap rates. But as we grow as a company, you realize that the long term wealth and is through following jobs and is through following the demand where there's demand and there's supply issues you're going to have consistent people wanting to rent from you for the next 30 40 50 100 years sure, right sure and that is where we are really focused on looking at markets that have the have have sexy growth in jobs so sure. austin is the pretty much the poster child i don't know many other cities around the country that historically was a, t a secondary market. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, it was boom bust, right? Sure, but sure. through, through um, uh, systemized investing by the local municipality, the leaders in the, in the 80s and the 90s, we are sitting in Austin today because of their investment decisions they made back in the day of attracting different um, uh, jobs, uh, employers, I should say, in, uh, investing in infrastructure, investing in the local university and the local hospital and building it around the tech space and not necessarily building it around say something like oil or something more of the traditional um, employers in, in, in sub, the Southern States. Right. Sure. Sure. When you pivot to that and you start attracting big names like Tesla, which just launched, just, you know, came out on the news that the gigafactories, sure. Mm -hmm. Gigafactories working there. Also now that it's sexy, Austin's sexy in the fact that it's on the map, it's on the world. You think of Sydney, Hong Kong, London, Austin is now in that sort of sentence, right? You got direct, flights to, you got direct flights to Europe two or three times a week. It is on the world stage. Um, South by Southwest is there. Now that is also, that, that hasn't been historically that, and you talk to a local Austinite, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this growth. Sure. But then when you look at something like LA or you look at something like New York or San Francisco, they Austin is going through the same growth and it will go through the same growth of the next couple of decades as those cities did back in say the, the eighties and the nineties. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so why invest in Austin? Why invest in low cap rate markets is because we are looking for the long-term uh, growth and wealth appreciation. And, and our thesis is that in those markets, you have the best opportunity and the lower risk to lose your, your hat if something is to go wrong. Sure. Um, you, you, we're currently in COVID right now and Austin's doing extremely well. You know, sure. it, the elections are over 97%. You know, it's, 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 it's booming. Um, and and with, uh, coupled with the, the demand mm -hmm. element is the most important thing in my mind um, for, for going off into the next 10, 20, 30 years of growth that we that's where really we want to ride the wave sure sure thank you yeah. thank you for that detail Reid. now on to a contrasting question as well Reid. that these high growth cities also definitely have a lot more new construction uh, of different uh, levels uh, do you factor in that uh, sort of you know what what that supply looks like uh, 100%. what does that look like yeah no you have to look at the the this you talk about the you talk about the demand side you've got to talk about the supply side as well sure. so mm -hmm. when you're buying existing assets but you also got to look at what supply how supply is coming to the market right and sure. what's the barrier to entry and sure. when you're comparing i've built stuff here in downtown los angeles and downtown long beach and and very expensive price per uh, price per square foot on the dirt sure but when mm -hmm. you take it takes two or three years to get through planning approval uh, to get sure. to your, your plans approved and then there's got construction risk because there's a high barrier to entry just for new product, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Then you're 
sets are very valuable, right? And you can sure. go in and you want to be sure you're not trying to compete with, okay, we've got a brand new building for two bedroom is uh, 2,500 bucks in downtown Austin. You don't want to have your existing 1980s building uh, at 2,500 bucks, but you want to be sure. lower than that and still be affordable in the market and ride that wave of where other things come up. And, and, and that is really important. But so two things we just mentioned there, the barriers to entry for new, new product sure. and making sure you're not trying to compete on price per square foot or price per check, as we like to talk about uh, with that new product. And you want to be the affordable option in the market Sure. So you do attract those blue and somewhat white collar um, workers who, who still have to live and work there. Sure, sure. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And now speaking of, uh, you know, sort of achieving your returns or, you know, sort of riding that wave of, uh, you know, achieving the returns and kind of achieving, uh, you know, the rent growth and things like that. What is your group strategy like in terms of like, let's say the value add, or is it more like a yield play? What does that look like? Yeah. So, so we'll, obviously when you're coming into a market where it has low cap rates, yield, um, where, where you have low cap rates and, and the thing you got to look for is cap rate versus interest rates, where there's a delta, where there's a gap. So if you're buying uh, a five cap, for example, um, sure. but you can get interest rate at four cap or less, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, four, 4%. That means that there's going to be cash flow, right? But sure. if you're buying at a four cap and you're getting interest at a four cap, well, there's not going to be any cash flow, right? I can tell sure. you that. I don't need to look at any <laughs> other numbers. I can just tell you those two numbers will that sure. you won't you won't have any spread. You need right. the spread, right? So you always got to look for somewhat of a spread, um, and that's why we don't like to go anything below a five cap mm-hmm. um, when we can get debt at three and a half, three point seven five today. Sure. But we do definitely look for path of progress. Um, types of deals. We just bought a deal in March. Uh, it, we have to underwrite it to a traditional multifamily value add deal. It's got some room to move with its, with its rents. Mm-hmm. But the big thing um, that's coming down the road, and that's where you've got to look at infrastructure improvements, is that there's going to be a new train line out to the airport, mm-hmm. literally half a block away from one of the stops on the line. Sure. That mm-hmm. is a huge massive thing that you've got to Absolutely. look at. Now, how do you underwrite to that? Well, you can't. Right? And you've got to underwrite like a traditional multifamily, but it has all this upside. Sure. The other thing in this particular submarket is that um, Oracle is building a, a, million, a new million square foot campus um, office space right across the street. And they're taking 400 units offline. They're just buying the dirt and demolishing them. So then wow. our existing product is going to be more valuable. Right? Absolutely. So now, again, how do you underwrite that? You can't. But what sure. you have to do is know what's coming down the pike. Sure. So you can ride that wave. And that's what I'm talking about when you're looking at bigger and better things that is going to impact your rent growth. It's going to impact your tenant base. It's going to impact um, the value of your asset. It's, it's not just the things you do to the asset, which we do sure. the historical same things. We're putting lipstick on a pig. We're, sure. we're, we're rebranding. We're, we're making, we're, we're turning the units where we're putting granite countertops in. We're doing everything sure. that probably everyone else is talking about on this podcast. Sure. sure. But mm-hmm. we then look for above and beyond what other infrastructure projects are happening within a sort of mile radius of us that mm-hmm. we can benefit from. We also look at highest and best use on the terms of land value and meaning so this, this property we bought, I think it's on 16 acres, um, but it's got a very low density of uh, units per acre. Interesting. In mm-hmm. 15 years time, 10 years time, maybe we can, if the city keeps growing this way, maybe we can demolish all those. And this is a 1980s building. We can demolish all the units and increase the density on the property. Mm-hmm. So again, thinking about other things above and beyond the traditional value add because sure. you have to, in these markets and everyone knows that 
you know, there's not much more blood you can bleed out of the stone with the traditional way of coming in, putting in, you know, wood flooring and two inch blinds and blah, 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 and trying to charge 150 bucks. You have to start thinking outside the box. And that comes through my development background. Mm -hmm. And that is really where the the rubber hits the road um, in terms of where long-term wealth is developed, in my opinion. Sure, sure. Now, speaking of all of this, uh, Reed, do you do you kind of underwrite a little long term, like you know, things that you mentioned, right? Uh, so, do you kind of uh, are you uh, sort of projecting for some of that to happen, or perhaps it's more about, hey, these are the uh, you know sort of the immediate uh, re, uh, you know near term returns, and then perhaps we have the other sort of these other activities where, hey, we could, you know, demolish yeah. the buildings and good, there's good. a lot yeah. more upside. So, so the answer to the question is no, I don't do the latter. I do mm. the former. So it's just a, sure. a very simple cash flow model with, with, with moderate rent, rent growth, maybe year and years, 3%, you know, maybe not now in COVID. Sure. Um, but, you know, when we get back to some normalcy, probably 3%, uh, looking for some, some pops in rental, sure. um, uh, you know, increases. And, so no, so the, to answer your question, no, it's not, but we do extend our hold time. So the, 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 sure. the overall return will increase. So we do seven and 10 year holds now. Sure. Um, knowing that in that period of time, they would have built the, um, the, the railway tracks. They would have you know, started building, taking uh, that campus is, is now uh, online uh, for sure. Oracle. Mm-hmm. So again, you don't want to try and force a model into that. And the way you would force it would be by assuming 6% year on year cash you know, uh, growth or negative um, uh, cap rate expansion, you know, stuff sure. like that. that. That's how you could go and do it, but we don't want to. We still want to have expansion on, on exit uh, in our cap rates. We still want to keep very moderate with our year-on-year growth. And if there's still returns, a, a moderate returns to investors, mm-hmm. we know that there's only going to be upside if this other stuff comes online. Also, not if, when it comes online. So sure, sure. for us, it's no, keep conservative, keep to, keep to your, your, your values and, and the basics of underwriting existing multifamily. And if other things happen in the market, fantastic. I'm not going to hang my hat on it. But sure. I know that it's coming down the pike sometimes. Sure, sure. Now, speaking of your background, uh, Reed, I mean, you are an engineer, structural engineer. So you, you, uh, you know, you're kind of dealing with, uh, I mean, really the structural aspects of these buildings. I mean, you know, you name it, right? Uh, do you think that the multifamily, uh, you know, the whole space in general is very easy from a standpoint of looking at it from a renovation standpoint and things like that. That's the easy part. Do you think that there are all these other pieces where it's marketing, the investor relationships, you know, in analyzing markets and things like that. Do you think all those skills are like far more, uh, you know, sort of important at the very same level, perhaps, you, you know, you got sucked into or you found perhaps easy uh, from your engineering background. Uh, but mm. all these other elements are equally sort of the equal pillars of all this business. Uh, what, what would you say to some of all of this? Yeah, look, you, you, the short answer is you need to, you need somewhat of construction background to know sure. what to do uh, in these big assets because they're not, they're, they're not just, it's not child's play, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. You need you need the investor relationships. You need the branding and the marketing and and the design in order to appeal to the renters. Excuse me. So so when you're coming in to do, um, you know, you, you're turning a leasing office, you're trying to make it 
um, tech thinking forward. You're trying to add work cubicles for people who, you know, co-working sort of space slash work from home now in the sure. COVID world. So you're trying to think and keep up with, um, with, with the trends. Sure. And that comes through hiring good designers, right? That comes sure. through making sure you're partnering with people who, who are, do maybe have that equity background or whatever. So mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, the buying existing assets and, 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 and flipping them is pretty, it's pretty basic, right? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. you, the goal is to always try and, you know, in my mind, like move to doing legacy assets, but, you know, maybe it's ground up construction, maybe it's um, owning uh, certain you know, properties that are, that are going to be in the family for, for many, many years. Um, but you need all the skill sets. You need to be dangerous in all of it, right? You can't sure, not, sure. Not, not know about it. Um, and that's the beauty of, of getting involved in business is that you, you know, me, uh, me as the CEO slash COO, um, you have an ability to wear a lot of different hats, right? You sure, have to sure. create a company. You have to be knowledgeable in an area in order to delegate correctly, right? Yeah. You have to be, and that really is where it comes down to is that if you know about something, then you can easily delegate a task to an employee um, or a partner or something like that. So, um, so you can focus on steering the ship in the right direction. So sure, sure. to answer your question is, yeah, you got, you got to be uh, you know, versed across all the different aspects uh, involved uh, in, in this business. Couldn't agree more. And, and I've seen some repositioning that your group has done, right? I mean, you, you guys do a phenomenal job. I mean, Thank some of the much. finishes, the takes, uh, things that the designs that you have are incredible. Could you maybe share some aspects about, uh, you know, how you kind of go about that process? Is it a thoughtful input uh, yeah. of, you know, uh, you know, let's say your competition or you're hiring great designers? Could you maybe kind of go behind the scenes on that? Yeah, sure. So, so we do hire great designers. It's, it all, it all comes, you know, design is, is very important. Um, we hire some great designers locally in Austin. I actually having my, my wife is actually a designer and she's doing <laughs> some work on, on one of our assets right now. Sure. Um, so, but it, you know, good design attracts people to want to rent uh, from you. And so the thought process of when a tenant crosses the property line, they want to automatically subconsciously think that they're going to start renting here. So when they enter the leasing office, when they, you know, as it, when they come, they, they see the sign, when they see um, the, the exterior of the buildings, they want to start to feel like, Oh, I can live here. Sure. Um, and pr- mm. particularly bring, bringing older assets into the 21st century, you have to go a little bit above and beyond with your color schemes, with the branding, with your amenity packages, sure. um, with making sure that it feels modern because that's what, you know, that's what you want to attract young renters, right? Sure, um, sure. Or you want to change the demographic. So mm-hmm. that is, it all, it all plays a massive part in it. Um, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, the difference between good design and bad design, it doesn't cost you much, right? Sure, so sure. It, it's, it's about investing in the right people in order to give you the right ideas to then go off and be successful and not second guess them, right? Like you, if you bring professionals in who are really great interior designers, let them do their thing. If they want to be bold, let them be bold, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's, that's what you'll get a reputation from. And we've, we've tried to be really bold with all of our products and our properties. Um, and I, I do remember one particular property that we sort of veered away from um, the traditional big yellow, bold colors um, and went with more, some more of a classical look mm-hmm. And uh, was a little bit concerned, but we sort of had to trust the designer and, and ultimately came out great and, and everyone loves it. And it's just a little bit different, right? And sure, being sure. different is good as well. You know, the old saying, being different is better than being better. Um, sure. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's all those different things that go into it. And sure. and it comes from my, 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 my corporate development world where right. I work for developers and 
when you work for the big developers, they go out and get the best architect. They go out and get the best designer. Sure, they go sure, out and sure. get the best engineers and they cultivate them together in order to build a project. So they, again, go back to your team that we talked about earlier. They're surrounding themselves with the best in the business in order to be successful. And we do the same thing on our business as well. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you, Reid. I think we are just about uh, time on the podcast. A few more sure. questions. Uh, like in terms of all of the things that you do, right? Uh, what 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 sort of takes you now? What are some of your next challenges, perhaps, or what sort of keeps you motivated? I think what keeps me motivated is is the the you know what's my new north star? For, the, for, for a long period of time, it was get become financially free, right, and, be, sure. and run my own business. Now it's about scaling and building systems and becoming vertically integrated. That's a really new challenge that I'm really excited about. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's also, so that means bringing property management in-house, going and doubling the portfolio in the next two to three years. Sure. Um, continuing to grow the brand, right? That's really, really important. Continuing mm. to look at other maybe asset classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that is challenging. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm early 30s, 34 years of age. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm also learning as I grow, as being a leader, as being sure. a CEO. And, and so that in itself has its challenges being, you know, encouraging people to take ownership, you know, employees to take ownership of, of, of the deals is really building business culture. All those things come to how we will go off and be successful in the next five to 10 years. So, um, and, and I, you know, for me, it's, I, I'm really getting a lot of gratitude and, and I'm very thankful for the opportunities that have come my way, but also knowing not, not to stress the next 10 years because, live in the moment because the last 10 years have been pretty freaking awesome. I know the next 10 years are going to be even better. So really focus on myself today and what I can do as best I can with the skills that I have um, today in order to be successful for both my investors, um, my employees, the company, my business partners, uh, also being a good husband, you know, all those things sure. in life that, 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 that you're really trying to be um, across a lot of different aspects, uh, aspects of life. Um, so you can be a good human. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And I, and I always like to say, when you said all of this, like it's easy to have a W2 job and have an easy life. Wouldn't you say that? <laughs> but that's not our DNA, right? <laughs> that's not our game. Yeah, and then look, and that's, and that's what people, some people get, they, 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 that tick makes them tick, right? For me, it doesn't. Sure, sure. Challenging myself every day is really what makes me tick. Sure, sure. I know. I think we are all there, like trying to push the work-life boundaries, you know, like, and, and you rightfully said uh, there, like, you know, I think learning and sort of growing the firm. I, I mean, I've kind of gone through those trials and tribulations. We are vertically integrated as well, uh, but it's an incredible ask. It's an incredible mm-hmm. ask that trying to, you know, get into the, uh, that space. And you mentioned different asset class as well. That That's a whole mountain to climb by itself for sure you know so mm-hmm. now speaking of all of this uh, read i mean you've done incredible in terms of you are a podcast host uh, you have incredible uh, two books that you have co-authored with uh, you know various friends of yours as well i, I love all of that you have done uh, can you uh, maybe help our listeners understand uh, how has been your podcasting journey? I know you've, I mean, I listen to your podcast. You've done that for years now. And I, I love the, you know, all the different uh, uh, sort of speakers you have all the time. I mean, great business leaders, some of the, uh, you know, awesome folks you have. How has been your podcasting journey and how it has helped you in your business as well? Oh, look, in the beginning, I thought, what the, who the hell is going to listen to me? My, my grandma and my, my mom, right? Maybe my dog. Uh, but, but it was, it, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking when you, when you start to, to take um, building a brand because that's what I was building a brand around a story, right? And my story sure. was coming to, the, to America. And that's where everyone has to realize that they are, if they are to build a business, regardless of what business you're in, 
your story matters, right? Being sure. vulnerable, whatever it is, you know, mm. I don't care whatever your story is, but people are going to resonate with it somehow, some way. And that is where you're going to attract your business partners. You're going to attract your investors. And there's a lot of people out in the, in the world, as you know, that, that do what, what I do. Sure. And mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get every single investor, but what I can do is be true to who I am and true to my story. And that's going to resonate with some people. And I'm going to have some followers that are really going to love what I have to say and do. And that's all I need to be successful, right? So the podcast in itself was really a way to share the journey a little bit, share the story, interview some incredible guests along the way and have a bit of fun. I, I haven't, I don't make money off my podcast. I don't you know, make avenue uh, ad revenue off it. I, I have a little, some, a little bit of ad revenue, but the, the fact that I get to speak to people like yourself, I get to speak to other people who are on the same wavelength as me. It's like, it's like an addiction, right? It's, it's Absolutely. My, my, my Absolutely. wife comes, I, I get off podcasts sometimes and I'm bouncing off the walls and she's like, what, have you just taken drugs or something? Because, you know, <laughs> like it's, but it, we're, it's, it's the fact that we're at the same wavelength and, sure. and being an, being an entrepreneur can be lonely at times. Right. And so it when, is you lonely. On, when you get on a podcast, when you get on uh, and have a great chat for an hour and you press record, that is that is awesome right and that's and that's what make the juices go and that's what I, I i really have got out of it And it's nearly been an, a mentor in itself because i've used it as a crutch to be a sounding board to test ideas to talk to different you know perspectives across the country sure um, and that's been really really powerful so yeah uh, absolutely and i and i agree with you uh read there uh, i mean everything that you said i think being at the level and i think you get to kind of bring your own experience sort of you know ask those questions and it's it's not about the money or anything like that it's, it's really more about the relationships that you can forge and you know have a great conversation and who knows? I mean, this conversation that very much that we have, we all know that, I mean, so many folks who listen to this and say that, oh boy, such and such podcast of yours was so right. helpful right. that few tips that I got out of it really kind of, uh, you know, helped me kind of channelize my strength or come out of my struggles and things like that. So it's it's an awesome way. And, 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 and I always like to, you know, kind of bring my experience into my podcast, kind of ask the uh, questions that they should should be asked to different guests it's not about just the mechanics of oh sure. hey how you change the countertops what color you apply <laughs> it, it's really not that i mean no it's, it's not it's, it's, it's really people, about yeah sorry go ahead no i was gonna say people invest in, in 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 me or in yourself because they like the story they invest in you first and foremost and the deal is actually second sure, um, sure. so that having that good personal brand is is really really important um as you as you grow and scale Awesome. One last question, Reid. Sure. Um, as you have grown, you have networked many times. I mean, on a daily basis, I should say. Um, what are some of your incredible best advice that you have received that kind of, you know, keeps you grounded and disciplined on a daily basis? What are some things that come to your mind? It's, it's funny. You ask, like, what's the big, best piece of advice? The best piece of advice I've ever received is actually from my old man, my dad. Um, and I don't think he coined this term, but I, it's a good one. I like it. Uh, a fool and their money are easily parted. And so what it means, it's got two things. Don't be a fool when it comes to your money and understand how you go out and use it. And you can do it with any stock. You, you can invest in the stock market if you want. You can buy businesses. You can you know, invest in gold. You can invest in real estate. But whatever you do with your money, don't be a fool. And don't let the, you know, the, the wool be pulled over your eyes. And that has always rung true to me. And, and that is always what I try to think of about money. Um, it's a tool. And I need to not be a fool with it and use it in terms of propelling myself personally, my family, and, and, and hopefully one day giving back even, you know, 
in philanthropic ways. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the biggest piece of advice that, that I that I have been given. Incredible. Thank you, Reed. Thank you for stopping by on the podcast. My I mean, pleasure. you are such a dynamic person and the number of people you have uh, sort of influenced and you continue to inspire uh, is inspiring uh, to me and many of your listeners and my listeners as well. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, share with your listeners how they can kind of find you and learn more about you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, mate. You're doing an incredible job and keep it up. And um, yeah, just honored to be here. Uh, the way people can get in touch is just jumping on to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. Um, and if you're ever coming through LA and you want to hit me up, uh, just reach out to me at info at reedgoosens.com. Incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Reed Goosens for you uh, with his all-powerful advice and experiences. Uh, so thank you, Reed, and myself, Sakar Kalve with premiumcashflow.com. Uh, log on to premiumcashflow.com for experts like Reed uh, who are always on podcasts, and we do have some insightful articles and blogs. Uh, so you can always log on to that and check out the content, but never miss the podcast and the great guests like Reed who come on. So once again, thank you, Reed. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank today. you very much. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.